You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You, you got to learn from a win and learn from a loss. I've really seen our habits and a lot of things around the building get better the last uh, couple weeks. Coming off a win, you got to double down on that. Do even more of it. Make sure you're focused. Focus is good. Your practice habits are good. Your effort's good. And I expect the guys to, to respond well this week. In Big Ten play, you've, you've got to come and bring it every every day in practice, every snap of a game. Uh, if you don't, you're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. Uh, Big Ten, honestly, the defenses in the Big Ten are good. Uh, you, you're not going to really ever have an easy game. So you have to be ready to fight and just honestly earn inches. Slowly, I mean, that's been a lesson that uh, that's been learned with some of the younger guys through the beginning of the year. Getting a win last week, um, I think, really, really helped um, the team as a whole. Um, just the trajectory of where this thing is going. We, we know as, as a, internally, we know we've been improving, but um, it is nice uh, when you can get a win uh, to show that result. But yeah, I think uh, everyone on the team is definitely hungry to finish the season out strong, um, potentially have a, have a winning season. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washout. Later we'll hear from Nate Klaus in recruiting. But here we are, Robin. It's mid-December. We're playing Big Ten football been 60 degrees all week in Lincoln it's going to be a little snowier on Saturday but um, you know Nebraska's got week eight here of Big Ten play Minnesota a very undermanned gopher team is going to be coming to Lincoln Lincoln you know they haven't played a game since November 20th they're gonna have over 20 players out with COVID uh, PJ Fleck obviously not giving out a list of who's out and I mean that's how you have to do it if you're in his shoes I don't even anticipate Minnesota having a full 74-man travel roster. I'll be curious how many players come, who's all out for them. But, man, we've talked about all the bad breaks Nebraska's gotten with scheduling. They've gotten some great breaks here down the stretch. They get Purdue last week on the road after eight players opt out, kind of sandwiched between a COVID nightmare that they're facing now in West Lafayette with maybe 10 to 15 players testing positive this week. And now you get Minnesota coming off of a – you know, a near month layoff or three week layoff. And on top of that, uh, they're going to be shorthanded quite a few players. This sets up for Nebraska again to, to build some momentum against a very undermanned Minnesota team. Yeah, if you're in Nebraska, you take any break you can get uh, with the way things have gone over the last few years. But uh, once again, Nebraska has an opportunity, uh, a golden opportunity to do something that it hasn't done uh hardly at all over you know the past several years and that's string together two straight weeks of good vibes and winning football uh, i mean obviously it's been since last september 2019 since they won back-to-back games um and you know i think even before that since they won league back-to-back league games and so i mean this is something that to take the next step as a program you have to win this game it's the exact same situation they were in coming off that penn state game and we saw how that went. So do, is this team finally ready? Have they kind of figured things out to the point where you have a golden opportunity in front of you to take a important step to gain some positive momentum going into the offseason, not only finishing this year strong, but getting some some good you know, juju on your side going into the winter that you know you haven't had in a long, long time. So, I mean, that's the challenge up ahead of them right now. Regardless of what's happened with Minnesota, you don't care about that if you're Nebraska because this is a chance that you have to you have to capitalize on. There's no question. When I wrote this uh, on Wednesday or on Thursday, Robin, um, there are places in the Big Ten where these games don't mean anything. Week eight and week nine, 
Lincoln, Nebraska is not one of those places. Um, these next two weeks will essentially decide if we're going to have a nice spring and summer or kind of a drama, stressful spring or summer as far as the direction of things are going. They're, I don't want to say they're must-win games because they're always must-win games at Nebraska, especially when you should win. I get it when you play Ohio State or a good Wisconsin team. Those aren't must-win games. But this week and maybe Rutgers on the road or in Lincoln on the 19th, you know, these are games they have to get. And who would have thunk we could be talking about a bowl game after week nine? And, you know, if Nebraska wins on Saturday and they win week nine, presumably against Rutgers, they're going to a bowl game. And I just never thought that was possible after the one and four start when we left Iowa. Yeah. And, that, and again, that's what makes this week particularly so important. I mean, just because it's the one known game on the schedule right now. Uh, it's not just the next one. It, it, you know, there's a chance, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, this is the opportunity that you cannot let slip through your hands, especially after already blowing it, you know, a few weeks ago in that Illinois game. So, I mean, there's a lot at stake uh, for Nebraska, obviously for this season. But you know, like I said, long term, you know, you and I, I mean, we, we've and people listening, you, you know what positive momentum going to the offseason does for not only the football program but for the university for the city of lincoln for the state of nebraska like it's just a, ticket a, sales next year it's a better place to be <laughs> when when people are feeling good and there's optimism about the program i mean go back to 2015 you know they had a losing season but they won that bowl game and they beat michigan and state they finished strong with some good wins down the way all of a sudden you know people are starting to you know kind of buy into this then thing. it led to a 7-0 start the next year exactly and so just just that that winning mentality and those types of good vibes do so much to propel your program uh, from you know where they were at the start of the season to where they could potentially be uh, at the start of 2021. And it is senior day as well, and we're going to talk more about some of those seniors, but all these kids have a decision to make on their hands, and that's a whole other storyline. Uh, essentially, I think 17 seniors, but really 15 key seniors that kind of all have playing roles on this team. And, you know, what's a reasonable goal? Could you get half these kids to come back next year? Which ones would you want to come back? I mean, I think Will Honus and Colin Miller, if he wants to try to come back and play, JoJo Doman, JoJo Doman's obviously a, kind of a, I don't want to say a pipe dream, but that that would be, if they got him to come back, that would really change the front if he could. But he just got invited to a draft All-Star game, so it's hard yeah. to say what he's thinking. I think Hymas is as good as gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mills has to, I mean, what has Mills shown that he could go pro with right now? He's got five games of film from the end of last season where he played you know, pro level football. So yeah, that's not enough, especially. Well, can you get a combine invite off that? Probably not. not. Especially considering this year. I mean, the lack of in-person evaluation uh, scouts and NFL personnel are going to have this year just because of all the COVID stuff. Uh, I mean, there's the opportunities aren't going to be there the way they normally would. And I would hope pro days are going to happen with scouts in person. I mean, who knows by March and April, how vaccinated Mm -hmm. this country is going to be where the virus is threats going to, go down. I mean, we hope that's where we'll be, but nobody knows. So yeah, I just think if you're a senior, there's so many unknowns. Yeah. And you know, I had one kind of NFL or expert say, "Look, if you want your football career to be over with in 3 months, go pro." It's the reality. But here here's the other element to that though. It's not just the NFL cuz uh the XFL will be back. Uh, in 2021. Really? Yeah, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson bought it and he's going to be the the kind of manager of that thing so uh that's another opportunity we saw several former huskers play in that 
you know, last year before it shut down. And that was a good league, I thought. I mean, it was uh, you know, pretty close to being a, a, the the ideal goal of an NFL farm system. So there's always that opportunity, too, if a you know player has financial circumstances that, you know, I need to go start making some money now uh, and stop playing for free. You know, that, that could potentially be an option that could sway some of these guys that were wondering would they come back or not. I will note that uh, of the, the senior day, they're going to honor 17 of the 18 seniors. The one senior that won't be honored is Connor Culp. So that's a pretty good indication that he might be coming back 12 or 13, year. leads the Big Ten and made field goals. He's not getting nearly enough attention. And, you know, I, I – He I, should be getting all-conference honors. I think the 49-yarder – was it 48 or 49? 49. I think that kick – change the narrative i at first he was like okay yeah, he was just like a chip shot guy he, he, he's good at the 32 yarder okay your division one kicker but he showed something with that 49 yard kick on a grass field in december i mean that's i don't care who you are outdoor kick on grass in december 49 yards that, that's that's a big time kick yeah i mean he missed that one 38 39 yarder against northwestern right was that early in the year yeah and, and that was a big kick and that's yeah. it yeah and after, after that he's been perfect so on extra points as well all right when we come back we're going to talk offensive storylines here going into saturday you're listening to the huskar line show you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics uh, it means a lot. You know, I came to Nebraska to be a part of an offensive line tradition. To be a part of that tradition now is just something that I'm forever grateful for. You know, all the people that have came before me, all the people that will come after me. To be where I am today, I couldn't have done without my teammates. You know, when I was a young guy, people like Tanner Farmer and David Neville, Nick Gates, all those guys, I, I didn't do it by myself. So, couldn't have done it without those guys. And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. That was offensive lineman Brandon Hymas, probably the most decorated of Nebraska's senior class, a 39-game consecutive starter. He'll make his 40th and 41st start, ideally, um, and maybe 42nd start if Nebraska makes a bowl game. And you think about all the linemen that played there here. I mean, very few have been in a position to do that. But uh, this segment here of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill here in Lincoln on 30th and Yankee Hill. Was just in there on Wednesday. Um, great place to watch games, socially distant, safe, uh, great food. Get on into Tanner's. They have been um, getting some good turnouts to watch these Husker games at 11 a.m. and stick in there and watch the rest of the college football and Sunday action at Tanner's Sports Bar here in Lincoln. Uh, but, Robin, you heard Hymas, and you just think about this kid. When he got on the field, he was about 265 pounds, starting left tackle for Mike Riley in his final season and he, he really probably shouldn't have been out there, but um, they made the decision to play him as a freshman, and it kind of is what it is. I'm trying to remember what happened. David Neville, or did somebody get hurt that year that forced that move to happen? That sounds right. Uh, yeah, I think it was because David Neville started the year. And David then, Neville was better than people gave him credit for. If he could have stayed healthy, he would have been a much better player than he was, but injuries just plagued his career. But, yeah, they basically had no choice but to throw – uh, you know, Nick right in the, or sorry, uh, Brennan right in, the, right in the mix of it. And, you know, that kind of started the, the whole streak now. And I believe that, I think Jeremiah Searles has the all-time career starts. 41? Record with, uh, yeah, 41. So he's got a chance to go down as uh, the most starts ever by a Nebraska offensive lineman, which is incredible. If they play in a bowl. Yeah, if they play in a bowl. So, I mean, we'll see. But uh, really, I mean, he's a guy that has been, through uh, as much as anybody on this team right now uh, in, in terms of just all the uh, the adversity and the, the roller coaster that the last four or five years have been. 
Um, and, you know, he had opportunities, I guess, to, I mean, like everyone else, to find somewhere else to play or even, you know, move early, move on early to the pros. And he stuck it out. And, you know, I think having a guy like that that was willing to uh, buy in uh, the way that he did, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that set the tone for what Frost has been trying to build over the past three years. You could argue, as far as Mike Riley recruits go, he's probably as good of a player as any, as far as productivity and of any of the Riley guys that were brought in this program. Yeah. I mean, J.D. was on that path, but then he left. But, there, 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 I mean, there haven't been – Quite as many yeah, Jojo Doman, I like Jojo Doman would be up there, but Boodle maybe, you know, and Doman was um, going to come to Nebraska. I, I, I think a Colorado kid like that, they were always going to be recruited by Nebraska and have a chance to come here. But he was recruited by Riley. But really, this has been the first year that he's been a consistent player. I mean, he's he's shown flashes over the last few years, but this has really been when he's he's flipped that switch. Whereas Brennan, he's kind of been a mainstay, no doubt. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's the separator. And so maybe the only person that comes to mind would be Boodle just out of, you know, career longevity. Lamar Jackson before that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, this is a kid from Austin, Texas, that picked Nebraska over Texas, and he stuck with the program. So, yeah, he, I just it's too bad there, there can't be fans here to really give some of these seniors the proper send-off. But getting a win would probably be the best send-off possible and who knows what week nine will be. They might be back here. They might be on the road at Rutgers, somewhere like that. So we'll see where that all goes. But zoning in more on the offense, one of the things I liked last week, Robin, we saw them really size down that wide receiver rotation. Uh, Cade Warner didn't play a snap. No. Alante Brown did not play a snap. And the focus now, obviously, Wandale Robinson, but Oliver Martin, Xavier Betts, and Levi Falk and Wyatt Lever. I mean, those five guys really played a lion's share. And I like what, how Falk and Betts have really come on. They gave Nebraska about, I think, five catches each last week. Yeah, and both of them had some of the, the better games, or at least the most complete games uh, of their, their one seasons here. So uh, definitely you can see the benefit of them paring down that rotation. It almost seems like there were too many mouths to feed, and they didn't know uh, you know, who, who to really latch on to. And I think that may have impacted chemistry a little bit too with – Two quarterbacks, you know, splitting first team reps for several weeks and uh, the receivers rotating in practice. You know, maybe that was a big reason why that passing game took so long to get off the ground. Well, they went back and, you know, made Adrian their their guy again. And then they pared down their receiver rotation. And suddenly, you know, maybe coincidence or not, that passing game has, you know, taken off from where it was earlier in the year. So uh, I think that's a big part of it. And then the other part of it, too, I think it's done wonders for Wandell Robinson. Uh, I think they're finally using him the way that he needs to be used, not just you know sticking him at running back and giving him the football and say, here, go make a play. They're actually utilizing him within the structure of the offense and using him as a wide receiver. I mean, the number of underneath routes he was able to capitalize on against Purdue's, you know, that bend but don't break secondary. I mean, he had that all day, and he was a, a weapon that Purdue had no or no answer for, and that was kind of the vision, I think, all along when he moved to full-time, quote-unquote, wide receiver of what that picture was supposed to look like with Wandale. So hopefully he kind of benefits as much as anyone from that pared-down rotation as, as they go forward. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk offensive storylines, and yeah, I think they've settled on Adrian Martinez as the guy, and McCaffrey as a change-up, and Give Purdue some credit. They had a good scheme to shut down those QB runs. It was probably – it was far and away the least production we saw out of the QB run game and the run game in general for Nebraska. They only had five rushing first downs in that game 
Um, and 13 of their first downs were converted by pass. Martinez had three of the five. Mills had two of the five. So they didn't get a lot of rushing production. That has to change here in this Minnesota game. You know, the snow should be out of here by 11. But it, it could be just a sloppier, different feel um, than what we've seen all year. We've been blessed with great weather. Uh, but I think the running game needs to get going. Minnesota's been a very vulnerable defense that has struggled against almost everybody this year, particularly Michigan and Maryland early on. We saw them eke one out against Purdue. But this is a game where Nebraska should have some success running the football. Yeah, and I think having Diedrich Mills back, you know, fu- fully in in the uh, the running back, not rotation, but as that starting back, I mean, that's that's where I think has really hurt Nebraska's offense is you know, just the the uncertainty and inconsistency they've had at that running back spot while he's been out. And yeah, when he was in earlier in the year, he wasn't putting up the numbers, but. You saw in that Purdue game, he was the guy that kept drives on schedule and put Nebraska in manageable second and third downs and put took so much pressure off of Adrian Martinez uh, to where he was able to operate more off play action and uh, not have to you know make every single play with his arm. And I you know just having that presence where even if he's not racking up the yards, if he's getting you four or five yards a pop. I mean, that does wonders just to keep the flow and rhythm going for you offensively and keeping you out of those doomed third and 11s that we've seen far too much of. And Minnesota did not get to play Northwestern or Wisconsin. The last time they played a game was Friday, November 20th. And remember, they played three out of four weeks in a row on Friday nights, and they lost to Maryland. They played Illinois on the road on a Saturday. Then back-to-back Fridays, Iowa and Purdue. So I don't know how that worked, but they somehow became like Friday Night Lights for Big Ten football. Yeah, and they should have lost that Purdue game too. So uh, they they got a break there, and then uh, things shut down for them really quick. Yeah, it will be interesting to see, and um, we'll talk more about Nebraska's defense now as they get ready for Mo Ibrahim, Tanner Morgan, and this Gopher offense. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We, we all tough guys. We've been through a lot here. The guys that are still here, stuck stuck through it, you know, just continue to wake up every morning and, and just chipped at it. Just be a tough guy in, a, you know, in, in tough times. And, you know, every, everybody in, in my senior group right now deserves, you know, a round of applause for, you know, everything that they've been through, that they've endured. And, you know, just being able to make a good situation out of times that, that weren't always so good. So, um, you know, just credit to those guys. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. As you just heard, senior defensive back DiCaprio Boodle talking about really the, the tough four years he's had to endure at Nebraska. And this is a kid that picked Nebraska. I remember at the satellite camp when the former staff found him. It was in Doral Park in Miami at a satellite camp with about a 1,000 kids at it. And he ran the fastest 40 and got his offer from Nebraska pretty much on the spot from there and uh, came up here and went to school. So um, you just never know how it's going to come about and where life and your path is going to take you. And coming to a satellite camp and running a 40 and Brian Stewart seeing you do it led to him getting here. And, you know, he, he's he's played good football this year, Robin, when you look in. I think that secondary in general, they gave up the one play to David Bell, the collision play where everybody – kind of ran into each other but they did a heck of a job for the most part against some of the best receivers they've played all year well and that that one bust they had against Purdue at least they had two players just 
trying to make a play. You know, they were going up there trying to you know, knock the ball away as opposed to kind of sitting back and, and playing soft. And I think that kind of embodies the biggest difference between the secondary this year and previous seasons is you guys are, are willing to take chances now. I think they're finally starting to take on that, you know, whole no fear of failure mentality to where they're not afraid to, to take a chance on swatting the ball down or going after a pick or, uh, you know, being aggressive in man coverage because they actually are playing with some confidence now. And that hasn't been there uh, much at all over the past two or three seasons. So, you know, Boodle certainly is uh, kind of the forefront of that. Cam Taylor Britt as well, uh, you know, where this secondary is playing kind of at a different level than what we've seen. And a lot of that, I think, is uh, there's just a lot more confidence and a lot more willingness uh, to, to go try to make plays as opposed to being scared of giving up a big one. And of all the comments we heard this week, Robin, how about Travis Fisher, the former almost 10-year starter in the NFL, saying that he feels like – Cam Taylor Britt right now might be playing as well as any corner in the Big Ten Conference. Yeah, awfully high praise. And from a guy that doesn't really throw praise out too often. Yeah, I know. Usually he's the guy you have to like kind of like it's like pulling teeth trying to get him to say something like kind of the negative feature story, right? (laughs) So he's like, Yeah, he's got a lot of work to do. But yeah, for him to say that uh was definitely eyebrow raising, but uh you can see it. I mean, Cam, he's a freak athlete out there, and people people need to remember this is like his first season playing full-time cornerback. Uh, I mean, obviously he played quarterback in high school. Uh, He was kind of that versatile hybrid guy uh, for the past two seasons. And now he finally locked in as a full-time starting corner. And you're really starting to see him take off as he uh, learns all the nuances of that position that that separate good cornerbacks from great cornerbacks. And again, uh, when it comes to making plays, he's right there at the top. I mean, as far as, you know, creating interceptions and, you know, the the deflection he had, uh, obviously he was in on that, that bust for the touchdown, but he also had a play where he jumped like 50 inches in the air and swatted a ball away that would have been a touchdown had he not made the play. So I think you're really starting to see him uh, skyrocket towards that potential uh, that we, we all saw from him you know, from the get-go. But I think now that he's kind of found his home, uh, the sky's the limit for that guy. One, the other thing that really jumped out to me last week about the defense, Robin, is early on they set the tone. They were on the field first, which is typically not the formula Scott Frost goes with. I mean, if he can call his shots, he wants to go offense first. But – Jeff Brom wants offense first as well, so um, they won the toss. They went went with the ball, and that defense for Nebraska last week they forced they block a punt yeah. early off the stop that set the tone, and then they get a three and out with a sack on a four man or three man rush, and then they come back out again and get a three and out with a sack, and Nebraska was able to jump up seventeen nothing. Ben Stilley had one of his better games. He's got seventeen pressures on the year in six games, so. He's got three plays or more each game where he's disrupting a quarterback. He's playing very good football, and we talked earlier in the show about JoJo Doman, and I thought he did an outstanding job on Rondell Moore, Mm -hmm. limiting him from some big plays. Yeah, I mean, Rondell got a bunch of catches, but he didn't do anything with it. And even David Bell, uh, he had a bunch of catches too, but uh, if you take away – I mean. You know, in hindsight, it's hard to do, but you take away the big touchdown. Uh, really, all of his grabs went for like six yards per catch. So, he had, and he had one twenty. And Rondell's one twenty-two yard catch was the longest one he had. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they did a great job of uh, bottling him up. And I thought the most impressive part about that was the open field tackling. I mean, guys were not missing, and the first contact, Purdue's ball carriers were being taken to the ground, and that is the hallmark of playing that style of defense. If you're going to just kind of try to bottle up playmakers like that. 
you better be able to tackle Rondell Moore one-on-one, and Nebraska did that significantly better than they well, had and they, in the past. And they blew up the screens and the bubble sideline passes. I mean, Well, they, you know the key part of all that, though, uh, with the way that they played, kind of sitting back and uh, you know letting Purdue try to dink and dunk, was they were able to get pressure with four or even three rushers. I mean, there's clips of Nebraska sacking the quarterback on a three-man rush. And that's when was the last time that happened? And so the, that I think it just kind of speaks again to the play of the defensive line and the front seven in general and how good they've been all year long, maybe outside of the Illinois game, uh, in terms of you know being a, you know a consistent presence week in, week out. And over the past couple weeks, what they held Iowa to 2.8 yards per carry, held Illinois to, or um, Purdue to negative yards rushing. I mean, that's outstanding. And if they can play at that level, Nebraska's going to have a chance every game they play. Well, and this week they're going to see the leading rusher in terms of yards yeah. per game and Mo Ibrahim. And I'm assuming he's playing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? But, um, you know, he's 160 a game or so. And if he is playing, that will be the game plan. I mean, Minnesota is going to want to try to shorten this game. Mm hmm and let him go yeah assuming they still have tanner morgan at quarterback uh there's no rashad bateman uh who was as good of any receiver as there was in the country uh and so i mean minnesota suddenly became pretty predictable where they're going to try to run the ball uh get some plays for morgan off uh, rpo play action uh and really just kind of be a grinded out uh power football team and you know for really at all intents and purposes that plays right in Nebraska's defensive strength where, you know, they're that D line and those linebackers have been playing really, really well. And the physicality of the safety play with, you know, Dismuke and Deontay Williams, you know, it's, it's hard to run the ball against Nebraska right now, especially if you don't have that legitimate downfield threat in the pass game. And I'll be curious if Minnesota comes at Nebraska with heavier sets or more spread sets. Uh, be, trying to open them up because Nebraska has really played well using a lighter scheme where they've only played two defensive linemen. Yeah. They've only really had one game where they played three D linemen a lot. And that was Iowa. Um, and the last few weeks they just sub out a D lineman and put an extra outside linebacker. And then they put Jojo Doman as a nickel. Um, so the, the way they've been playing this year, it's almost like a two, five, four scheme um, in, in terms of Jojo being the fifth DB, but really he's a linebacker. And then they bring in extra linebackers as well. Will Minnesota try to get Nebraska out of that? You know, Damian Daniels, too, he's played really well. Yeah. Like, he's not gotten as much credit as he should, but I think he's given them about 20 to 30 pr pr pretty productive snaps the last few weeks. Well, that's a big step for him, too, because that was the one weakness was, I mean, he was a talented player, but he could only give you two to three snaps max at a time before he'd have to come out and catch his breath. Well, he got himself into shape, even though he still is a monster out there, uh, but he's staying on the field. And as a result of staying on the field, he's having more opportunities to make plays. And you're starting to see that more and more each week. All right. The mailbag is back. When Robin and I come back, we'll take some of your questions. You're listening here to the Husker online show. This is Husker online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, they just out-physicaled us. They, they executed better. They, they played harder than us. Um, they beat us. We can't let that happen. We got to do everything we can. They're really good in the run game. They run, run right at you and run mid-zone and uh, have RPOs that a really good quarterback throws off that. And the running back is, is one of the best that we'll see. Really good player. So uh, we got to be ready for that on defense and uh, got to try to establish a run game on offense. And that doesn't change week to week, but these guys really demand it out of you when you play Minnesota. 
And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, taking your questions now in the mailbag. You just heard from Scott Frost talking about a year ago where that was a pretty miserable night in Minneapolis. It was cold. Guys just didn't show up ready to play. If you remember, Noah Bedrill started in place of Adrian Martinez. They put a lot of that game plan back on Maurice Washington, and he just wanted no part of running between the tackles on that cold Minneapolis night. And Nebraska got embarrassed, and it, it was – Kind of a turning point of the year in some respects because I, I, I think it was right after Ohio State had already done that to him, and it just took the season off the rails a little bit at that point. So how will Nebraska respond? That will be a big part of it. Robin, let's get to the questions here in the mailbag. What about bowl games? How will the Big Ten bowl games be decided? Can Big Ten teams go to other bowl games outside of the Big Ten? Well, the best way to describe the bowl games – Right now, the Big Ten has six open contracts. They've had three cancel, one in Michigan, one in San Francisco, and then one in New York. Uh, probably not a shocker that those states aren't hosting bowl games this year. But um, Nebraska in the league has six. And if they get another New Year's six spot, which they probably have a good shot to, they'll have seven. So you're looking at seven teams in the Big Ten maybe going to bowls out of 14. There are four teams that are Big Ten bowl game locks. Indiana. Iowa, Northwestern, Ohio State. And then there are 10 teams at two wins. And those 10 teams are fighting for three spots. And I think today right now, Nebraska and Penn State would be in really good position. Because Penn State's going to probably beat Michigan State, and they're going to probably win their crossover. And they'll be four and five. Um, and they will have won like multiple games in a row. So I think they're good. If Nebraska wins two in a row, I think they're in. Um, I, I think Wisconsin if the Big Ten and Bull partners had their druthers, they would like Wisconsin to be the other team in that group. But what happens at Iowa? If Wisconsin beats Iowa, they're in a bowl for sure. Mm -hmm. But if they lose to Iowa and then win their crossover, then it becomes a debate with Maryland and probably Wisconsin. I mean, so there's some debate still on kind of where this will go with seven spots. But I think it's pretty cut and dry. And as far as bowl games outside the Big Ten, I don't think there's just going to be any availabilities. Other other leagues have enough teams that want to go, and they have contracts with those leagues. They're not going to, you know, there's no win requirement. You can take anybody you want in these bowls. Yeah, and so it's not just a matter of well, Nebraska's, you know, going to have the the best TV ratings, and if they're allowed fans, they're going to travel the best. Like that, I don't think that factors into it much at all, uh, if at all. And so, you know, really, you know, Nebraska, they they control their own destiny, like you said, because you know, I'm with you. If you got uh, you know, a Nebraska team sitting there with you know four wins. I don't see them leaving them out of a bowl. Uh, you know, especially with all the other perks that come with it. Now, the only hope is that more bowl games don't continue to get axed. Uh, I don't know how many have already been uh, canceled for this year, uh, but if they maintain with the numbers that they have right now, I think Nebraska, like I said, uh, has an, a great opportunity to get back to a bowl game in a year that you know a few weeks ago uh, I never would have imagined they'd be in this conversation. Question about Isaac Zatica, the son of former Husker John Zatica, who was an offensive lineman on Scott Frost's 97 team. Um, will he get an offer, a preferred walk-on offer? Where do things sit with Isaac, uh, the Elkhorn South offensive lineman? And, you know, that's an interesting one uh, because they don't really have any numbers to give. And, you know, I think if they were able to work something out, it could be like a Ty Han situation. Maybe you say, look, walk on for two, go on scholarship for three. Obviously, they like him. Um, I think not being able to see him in camp has made it tough. Um, but, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see if Nebraska can work something out with Isaac Zatica. Uh, next question, 
if for some reason a third quarterback had to go in the game, could Logan Smothers operate the offense? I, I would say yes. I mean, probably to an extent. Uh, is he going to be able to run the same amount of plays that Adrian Martinez is? Is no, and that's just because he hasn't gotten the the reps. And you know, you got to wonder too, just how many, if any, uh, first team reps he's gotten since he's been here, uh, especially with the you know the the back and forth between Adrian and Luke. There just haven't been that many first team reps to go around. So, I mean, I'm sure he could be able to. I mean, just from a talent standpoint, manage it. But I would imagine that game plan would be awfully condensed. All right, taking questions in the mailbag. Assuming that Deontay Williams and Markel Desmuke move on, who are the starting safeties for next year? I mean, I think today you would assume that Miles Farmer gets himself back. He'd mm-hmm. be one of them. And then well, be Gifford uh, or Pola Gates, right? Isaac Gifford or Pola Gates. And then, you know, unless an Adab Joseph could play safety. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's a question. I mean, the entire secondary outside of Cam Taylor Britt right now would be a question just because – some of these guys could come back, um, you know, and, and some could go pro. And I, I think most think Deontay Williams will go pro. He's already 24. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's been around for, for a while and he's done enough. I mean, I don't know what more he could accomplish with another year. Um, you know, Dismuke. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I guess there's an opportunity for him to come back, but I don't know. So I, I think one of those young guys, and, you know, the, when that conversation came up after Miles went down, you know, who was the next guy up at safety? Uh, you know, both Travis Fisher uh, and Eric Shenander, you know, had no hesitation saying that, uh, you know, no Paul Gates and Isaac Gifford are the next guys up and we feel good about them. So they're going to get their opportunities to show what they can do. And maybe in a couple weeks, uh, you're feeling a little bit better about the future of that position going forward, assuming both those seniors are gone. Here's an interesting question. Are Nebraska fans, are they our own worst enemy? Because sometimes the standards get set too high. It leads to heartbreak every season. Can the dedication and passion almost be a detriment to the program? And I think it's a fair take, but in reality, it's the passion and the support that makes yeah. Nebraska relevant. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it as a negative, but the, the positives of that passion far outweigh the cons. The expectation should be high, and fans should want their team to compete at a championship level because of not only what they invest into it, but what the state and the university and, and how much um, you know emotionally, financially uh, is invested into Nebraska football. They should demand a, a higher product than what we've been getting the last four years. And so, yeah, I mean, it sets up high expectations and uh, you know puts a lot of pressure on the football team to produce, but you know, that's why Scott Frost came to Nebraska. That's why all these players committed to play for Nebraska was to have those level of expectations. And they want to compete for champions just as much as anybody else. And for the fans to want it, I don't think that separates them from anybody else. You don't think Alabama fans feel that way or Georgia fans or any of those? I mean, Nebraska is not an isolated situation where there are certain segments of the of the fan base that are, you know, have wild expectations. But I think by and large, that support is far more of a positive than it is a negative. Did Matt Lubick call plays against Purdue? And, Robin, you watch it on TV, so you can kind of see when they zoom in on Frost. But correct me if I'm wrong, do you see Frost kind of looking into a big play sheet anymore? I mean, rarely, no. So it it, it seems like some of his plate has been cleared where he's got kind of a, a protege that he can communicate with that can communicate calls at the level that Frost wants them communicated with. Yeah, and Lubick actually uh, kind of explained that 
earlier this week where he said that really it's not a matter about calling plays. It's about just like agreeing upon situations, the, the, the predetermined plays they've already scripted because uh, they said the preparation that goes on through the week, like basically he said the game's called. It's a matter of when to run plays that they already planned on running. And so he's on the headset with Frost a lot. So he's got the play sheet and he's going to like, you know, it's third and three. He's like, all right, Scott, we got third and three situations. This play, this play, this play. And Frost is like, I like this. He's like, I do too. Call it. That's kind of how it goes right now. So, uh, you know, Frost has probably just as much input as he does in the offense, but, you know, he's not sitting there looking at a play sheet, essentially being offensive coordinator, head coach all in once. All right. And one final question. Will and should Nebraska look at taking McKenzie Milton? No, they will not take him. And the reason I say that is, number one, do you want to blow up your whole quarterback room? Go ahead and do that. Number two, can he play football? Do we even know? I mean, he almost had to have his leg amputated. He hasn't played football since 2018. And I think the pressure would be unbelievable for him to kind of recapture his 2017 glory and 18 glory. Uh, But that's not happening. Yeah, and you know, keep in mind, you got two guys that are about as well liked as any players on the team in Adrian and Luke. And Adrian's a two-time captain selected by his teammates, so he's about as popular of a player as there is on the team. And with the way he's playing right now, to suddenly throw his job out the window for uh, a guy like you said that hasn't played in, in as long as McKenzie has, I think that's you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, I think it's different than the Joe Burrow situation where. You know, Joe was healthy, and he was still, you know, a pretty high-profile guy. Uh, nobody knows what type of player Mackenzie Milton is right now, and I think the cons far outweigh the pros there. All right, when we come back, Nate Klaus will join us. We are, believe it or not, less than a week away from the early signing day. We'll get Nate's thoughts on Nebraska's latest commit, Raekwon Buckley, and we'll get you ready for signing day next week. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, I just think the transfer portal is giving a lot of the young kids uh, uh, a way to opt out of this thing. It's not doing any of them any any good, really, to be honest with you. Um, that's just across the country just looking at it. A lot of them are young. Uh, a lot of the kids are young. They're freshmen. 2020 doesn't help it, you know. But, you know, being quarantine stage and the rules and all that doesn't help it. The toughness part of it sticking through it the toughness is being a freshman and everybody's been a freshman you know at some point so it is tough you know 2020 and you know the things that we had to overcome so far in 2020 has been just an added piece to it and we're back here on the husker online show sean callahan final segment here as we bring in nate klaus as it's been a 2020 and you heard travis fisher reflect on that more as he's felt it as much as anybody as far as losing five Florida recruits that were true freshmen in the program and uh, just the challenges. And we're, we're not even into the one-time transfer rule kicking in, um, so we know this is just the start of things. And bring in Nate Klaus. Nate, what were your thoughts as kind of hearing Travis Fisher there uh, reflect on kind of everything that they've dealt with this year on some of these freshman kids? Yeah, I mean – I, I couldn't agree more with what he's saying. It's it's been this is by far and away been the strangest year, strangest recruiting cycle. I mean everything for for pretty much everybody. But um, you know, I can't recall a, a recruiting cycle or or a year of football season where a coaching staff has the deck stacked against them. You know more than what coaches do this year. And 
Yeah, I heard Fisher mention, you know, it's, everyone's been a freshman be- before, and every freshman goes through a rough patch, and, and uh, you know, and this year more so than ever. And, and I do think that with the transfer portal, it does make it a little easier for these guys to kind of throw the towel in and say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm over this. I, I want to try my luck somewhere else or, or do something different. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's a big reason why we've seen a, a lot of kids – kind of uh, uh, opt out and, and go ahead and transfer, and especially with the Florida guys. I, I think that, you know, when, when you come in, um, you know, as a recruit, and especially when you're, you know, one of four or five kids from the same state or same area, and, you know, one, one leaves and then another leaves, I think it, it makes it a little easier to kind of follow the leader, um, you know, and, and go ahead and, and do the same thing. And so that's part of the reason why I believe that, that Nebraska has kind of had some bad luck with, with some of these Florida kids because all it took was one, and it was kind of a domino effect for, for some others to so make it a little easier to, to leave. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk recruiting, Nate, and it's hard to believe signing day is in a few days, and 95% of Nebraska's recruits will probably be signing um, for, for the class, and they picked up their latest commit, Raekwon Buckley, uh, head-to-head win over Mel Tucker and Michigan State. Your thoughts on the latest one, and they did lose Patrick Payton as well, but I think we kind of saw that one coming for months. I think the bigger surprise was it took this long. Yeah, I think that was the, the biggest surprise. Um, you know, it was that uh, it took this long, and, and kind of how he did it, you know, it was a little strange when, uh, you know, you don't you don't see commits go ahead and, and announce their decommitment <laughs> Uh, to the team that they had been committed to while they're they're actually playing a football game, but that's how Patrick Payton decided to do it last Saturday. Um, you know the Huskers go on to beat Purdue, and then they uh, you know they pick up a, a commitment from Ruquan Buckley. But um, yeah, as far as Payton goes, I, I think that it was going to be a major shock if Nebraska was going to be able to hold on to him because uh, there had been some smoke about him, uh, you know, being it involved with some other teams or, or other teams going after him, which makes total sense because he's a terrific player. But, um, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, a little bit of a surprise how long he waited to go ahead and, and make the flip. And, um, you know, he wasted no time in committing to Florida State. Uh, but you mentioned Buckley, who, who committed later on that, that same day, and, and that was a major win. I mean, they needed – Nebraska needed to, to shore up a few more um, holes on that defensive line in this recruiting class. And, He's a kid that they've been on for, you know, over a year now. And I think, you know, there's two major reasons why they were able to, to go into Michigan and pull him out of there uh, over Michigan State and a handful of others. And, and one was because they were actually able to get him on campus for their very first junior day last January. And, and they also, you know, they'd recruited him as a defensive end from the get-go where – there were some other teams that liked him um, and think that he would, would have grown into a, a super athletic offensive tackle. There were some other teams that recruited him you know, as an athlete and said that he could play on either side of the football. Uh, but Nebraska liked him as a D end from the get go. And, um, you know, at 6'5, 6'6, 280 pounds, uh, I, I think he fits exactly what they were looking for at the position. So that was a really good addition to this recruiting class. You're listening here to the Huskar Online Show as we talk recruiting with Nate Klaus. Now, with that said, Nate, we're closing in on signing day. Um, a few things to watch. Tia Savea put Nebraska in his final three. A lot of us have him going to Nebraska 
What else are you looking for here in these final days? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's that's the big one is, is Tia Savea. You know, what what does he do? Um, you know, it, it's it's been a strange recruitment with him because uh, he's gotten completely silent for the most part since the, the end of August when he announced that he was shutting down his recruitment um, and that he wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be doing really any interviews or uh, really wouldn't be entertaining any new offers or anything like that. And for a for a four star commit to to or for a four star player to to do that and to not announce a commitment to anyone is you know I don't know if I've ever seen that before so so that was kind of bizarre but you know I know Tony Tuioti's had a great relationship with him from the from the get go uh, Nebraska is is right there um, obviously as one of his leaders now that he's released the top three heading into signing day and um, you know and, and my money's on Nebraska being able to pull him out of Las Vegas and, um, you know, and add another Polynesian, um, you know, signee under Tony Tuioti. So, um, you know, and I think obviously that would be a tremendous pickup and a tremendous addition to the the defensive line class if he's able to, to go ahead and, and get that done uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, what else are you expecting, Nate? I mean, no one's been able to come to campus. Coaches aren't on the road. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. We're going to hear from Scott Frost on Wednesday on a Zoom deal, um, more than likely, but it's just it's such an odd thing as we get ready to see this class sign, and a lot of these guys have barely been able to even visit Lincoln. Yeah, well, and that's the thing about it is, you know, usually in the days leading up to signing day, you've got a pretty good idea of, of you know, how things are going to go, um, you know, what, what players out there are going to – uh, make an announcement and, and where, you know, where that might, where, what school that might end up being, um, you know, and, and there are, I mean, there's still a few holes left in this class. Even if, even if Nebraska does get Tia Savea, um, you know, they, they still need another linebacker. They still need probably another defensive back uh, at least uh, in the class going forward. And, and maybe even two linebackers, um, you know, an inside and an outside guy. Now that Patrick Payton, um, is off the board. Uh, Deontay Anderson is a is a Florida outside linebacker that is uh, that is kind of in the mix. Uh, I know Nebraska is one of his finalists. Although I wouldn't necessarily, you know, get your hopes up for him if you're you know, a Husker recruiting junkie, paying attention to to who to who stands. Um, you know, there's uh, another defensive lineman out of Hawaii. Um, you know, Zen Sotelo. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, he's come out and said that Nebraska is his leader heading into signing day. So that could be, you know, another surprise, um, you know, commitment possibly that Tony Tuioti pulls off on, on Wednesday. But, um, you know, can Nebraska pull a, pull a late flip on Avante Dickerson? You know, that's something to, to kind of maybe pay attention to. But other than that, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, I w- totally wouldn't be surprised if something completely out of left field happens. But on the other hand, I also wouldn't be surprised if, if it remains kind of status quo uh, right now and, and maybe there's just a, you know, one or two remaining targets heading into to February because there have been a handful of players that said, you know what, um, I'm going to ride this thing all the way out to February because I haven't been able to take any visits and I still want to continue uh, to go through the process. And, Nate, well over half these guys will be here in January. I know uh, A.J. Rollins and Kobe Brett aren't early enrollees, but after that, a lot of them are, right? 
Yeah, pretty much. You know, the the remainder of the recruiting class uh, is is going to be um, or or can be eligible to to early enroll. Um, you know, last time I connected and touched base with all those guys, um, you know, it was it was going to be uh, sixteen. I know Ruquan Buckley is going to be an early enrollee, so that's possibly as many as seventeen early enrollees, which would by far and away be the most that that uh, Nebraska's ever had since, you know, er- becoming an early enrollee really started to, to be popular to do, um, you know, and I think it will probably won't be quite 17, but uh, I think that number could very well reach, uh, you know, 15 or so. Um, I do expect the pretty much everybody in the class to sign on Wednesday though, which uh, regardless of whether or not they're coming in early, I think that's, that's what you want to see if you're a Nebraska coach or, or a Nebraska fan is, is for everybody to, to go ahead and sign and, and to end the recruitment. Well, lots to keep up on. Um, Robin and I will have you covered on Saturday as Nebraska plays Minnesota, but signing day around the corner as Mike, Brian, and Nate will keep you up to date as signing day is just a few days away. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.